So they gave me the option <clears throat> of having my family up here. And you, you see how beautiful they are, right? That's a vote in my favor, right, to have them up there? Church, I first want to start out by saying, Happy Resurrection Sunday. So exciting to be here. We're excited to get to, to know more of you. Um, we're honored and we're blessed to be able to be here. Uh, for those that, that don't know us yet, we are actually born and raised in Michigan, in the Flint area. And then the last 10 years, we've been on Long Island, New York, in the land of the crazies. And uh, you wonder if it's true, all these stories. They're, they're true. They're true. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's wild. And so we're, we're excited to be here. We are honored and blessed. Um, I just want to take a second and just talk about how amazing your search committee is. And uh, the time and the effort and the energy that they put into everything that they've been doing and contacting and Rick leading the, the group. And um, I know they represent you. And if, if you guys are half as great as they are, man, what an amazing place to be. So can you just give it up for the search committee one more time? Just thank them. Um, we have tried to sneak in to Northville a couple times. And um, we didn't do a good job at sneaking in, but it's kind of your fault, all right? This is why it's your fault. We try to sneak in under the radar, and someone goes, hey, welcome to Northville. Come here. I want you to meet so-and-so, and I want you to meet so-and-so. So I've probably met half of you already, and uh, you guys are, are awesome and so loving and just encouraging, and, and you make us feel right at home. So uh, we're excited to get to know the rest of you guys this week. I hope at some time, at some point this week, I know we have a lot of things going. Like I said, we're hopping from one place to the next, but my hope is I get to meet each and every one of you, and I want to hear your story. And I want to hear what God has done in your life. And I want you to share your testimony with us so we can, uh, we can cheer you on and uh, celebrate with you. If you're taking notes today, which I hope that you are, you know, there's all these statistics about how much more you remember when you write it down. I was going to try to throw some out there, but let's be real, it would have been made up. So um, let's just say 72% of uh, what you write down, you know, you're going to remember. So um, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my sermon this morning is, Who Do You Say I Am? Who do you say I am? If you have your Bibles today, would you turn to Matthew chapter 16? We're going to read verses 13 through 16. Who do you say I am? What a powerful question. And this is a question that Jesus posed to his disciples. And I believe this is the same question that Jesus is asking me and Jesus is asking you this morning. So let's read this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Verse 13 of Matthew 16 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter the way that he always does. Verse 15 says this, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Can we pray just one more time? Jesus, we love you so much. And God, I am so grateful for this opportunity that I have, Jesus, to celebrate with this great group of people, Lord, what you've done for us. God, how you took my sins, my shame to a cross. Lord, you paid a price for me that I could not pay so that I can have relationship with you this morning. Jesus, we love you. I pray that every heart in this place, God, would be open to what you have for us today. 
God, my hope is that when we all leave here, we would know you more. We would be closer to you. God, I believe that everybody in this room, it doesn't matter if we've been saved 80 years or eight minutes, we can all draw closer to you. God, and that's the hope this morning. Jesus, we love you so much. We pray you bless this service and our time together. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. 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 So what do people call you? What do you go by? What are you known as? We all wear different hats. We all have different names, right? I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son-in-law. I'm a son. I'm a cousin. We all have these different names and these different titles, but some seem to hit a little different, right? So again, I'm just going to give you a a brief um, sight into our story a little bit. Um, Mick and Callie, our oldest two, they are 14 and 13, and we adopted Mick and Callie when they were, we met them when they were two and three, and adopted them when they were three and four years old, and uh, it's been such an amazing experience, and we love every second of it. The one thing that we wish we had, my wife and I say all the time, I wish I could have been there for the first steps. I wish I could have been there for the first word, but God had other plans, and that's okay. So after 12 years, we actually had two kids. We weren't ready for it. Uh, We thought we were, but boy, we were not. Um, And uh, I tend to have a competitive spirit, all in good fun, but I tend to have a competitive spirit. And my goal was, I want my son or daughter, when I found out Amber was pregnant, to say daddy first. Anybody else in here like that? Come on, you can be honest. So eight weeks, my wife is eight weeks along, and I'm talking to her, her stomach, dada, daddy. Daddy. So then Peyton is born. I'm bawling like a baby. And I'm going, dad, dad. <laughs> Say, dad, dad. Dad, dad. She said mom first. And um, I, I tried. I gave it my best shot. But there is something that happens when Peyton looks at me and says, dad, daddy. If I'm being brutally honest. She's usually screaming it. <laughs> uh, dad, dad, dad. Uh, it's super funny. But anyway, there's something that happens. My daughter has these beautiful blue eyes, these eyelashes that just go on for days. And she looks at me and says, daddy. And I say, you can have whatever you want, sweetheart. You want a Ferrari? We'll figure it out. Whatever you want. But there's something that happens in that moment where my daughter looks at me and says, daddy. There's something that leaps in my heart, and I go, oh my gosh, that is so amazing and it's so wonderful. And I think that that happens with our Heavenly Father. Come on, church, I think that happens with our Heavenly Father. When we look at him and say, Dad, I need your help. Father, I, I just want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for how amazing you are and that you you led me to this day, to this moment, and you've directed my every step, and you protected me, and you loved me, and you went to the cross for me. Dad, that's how Jesus teaches us how to pray. Abba, Father. He could have taught us a different way. Could have been, you know, he could have focused on the the king and, and all that kind of stuff, but that would create this divide. Instead, he focused on Dad, Daddy. I think it's interesting that Jesus... Ask this question to his disciples. Who do you say I am? And what I believe today is Jesus is still asking that question. To you and to me. Who do you say I am? That's a big deal. Who do you say that I am? 
Today, what I want to do is I want to look at three different encounters that Jesus had in his final days leading up to his crucifixion. And I want to focus on their actions and the words that they, that they used to truly say what Jesus was or who Jesus was to them. Again, if you're taking notes, my first point this morning is relationship over proximity. Relationship over proximity. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read verses 20 through 25. Relationship over proximity. You know, it's interesting that sometimes in life we spend a lot more time with the people that we might not love the most, right? Think about how much time you spend with coworkers. And you're like, oh man, I wish I could be with my wife or my kids as much as I'm with my coworkers. So just because you're close to someone doesn't mean that you are close with someone. And I think that that is important for us to understand this morning because there is a guy in the Bible named Judas who was very close to Jesus in proximity. But I don't know that Jesus ever truly had Judas's whole heart. And I want to dive into some context really quick, really quickly here. So Judas was with Jesus for three years, followed him around in his ministry. But early on in Jesus' ministry, he's giving a tough word to people that are following him. And he's talking about eating of his flesh and drinking his blood. And what happens? Some people can't handle that. So they're like, all right, we're going to go over here. We're going to go follow somebody else. And they leave, right? And Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? And they're like, where are we going to go? And he says, you're right. I've chosen you 12. And then he says something interesting. And one of you is a devil. And he's talking about Judas because he knew what Judas was going to do. Not only that, but we read that Judas was a thief. Judas was the treasurer of the group. So for the disciples and for Jesus, he kept the money, what little money they had, he kept it. But we read in the Bible that Jesus, or that Jesus, not Jesus, don't write that down, that Judas, don't write that down. Can we take that out of the film or you know, whatever the recording there? Judas would reach his hand in the bag and take what he wanted. He was a thief. And yet this man had a front row seat to the greatest person to ever walk the face of this earth. He got to see Jesus in front of the crowds. You ever heard the phrase, don't meet your heroes? You've heard that, right? Come on, church, you got to work with me. You ever heard that phrase, don't meet your heroes? Why? Because you're disappointed, right? You find out that they're human and you're let down. Judas got to see Jesus in front of thousands of people, feed thousands of people, heal people, the, the, the dead were raised to life. The lame walked, the blind see. He got to see all this stuff. But then he got to see Jesus behind closed doors. He got to be a part of conversations that we don't even know about. And yet, he was still messing around. And yet, I still don't know that Jesus truly had his whole heart. Judas was close in proximity. But he didn't have the relationship that he needed. I want to look at two different things in regards to Judas. And the first thing that I want to look at is actually a conversation that's had at the Last Supper. We're going to read Matthew 26, verses 20 through 25. It says this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. 
they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. When you're reading about this conversation in in the different Gospels, it'll say that the 11 said, one by one, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And then we get to Judas and he says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. That's interesting. So I dove a little deeper into that. And the word Lord in Greek is kurios. And the definition to the word that's used there is he to whom a person or things belong about which he has power of deciding. Master or Lord. So the 11 are saying, Lord, you are above it all. You have all of me. You are in charge of me. You are my Lord. And we get to Judas and he says, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Rabbi, interesting. What does Rabbi mean? Teacher. Teacher. Now it's said with great respect. But isn't it interesting that he is not saying the same thing that the other 11 said? Lord. Again, I don't know that Jesus ever truly had his heart. It begs the question for us today. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Or did he just give us a bunch of interesting teachings quotable scriptures, things to put on Instagram and Facebook? Or is he truly, truly Lord of our lives? The next thing that I want to look at this morning is the 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever stepped back and thought, why 30? Why 30? Why not 20? Why not 50? Why not 100? Why? Why did they settle on the number 30? I'm glad you asked. We're going to dive into that this morning. Matthew 26 Verse 14 through 16 says this. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, if we left this place and we're out in the marketplace and we happen to use the phrase 30 pieces of silver... People that aren't even Christians will understand more than likely what we're talking about. This is a big deal. This part of the story is a big deal. But what is the significance? 30 pieces of silver was more than just some random sum of money. There was a meaning behind that number. One thing that we, when we're reading the Bible today, it's easy for us to breeze right by numbers. But numbers at that day was very important. So what does this 30 mean? Well, in order to get some context, we're actually going to look back at Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. So the Hebrews were in Egypt as slaves, hundreds of years. Moses goes and he gets them out, right? And now he has to, they have to start setting a new culture. Here's new rules, here's new laws that we're going to live by. And in Exodus 21, verse 32, we read this. 
If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. Interesting. So these people whose jobs are to study the scriptures go to this number of 30 pieces of silver. So in their mind, this is disrespect. This is the same amount as what a slave would cost. One other thing that's interesting about 30 pieces of silver. There was a group, there was a culture in southern Mesopotamia called the Sumerians. Not the Samaritans, the Sumerians. Whenever an ancient Sumerian wanted to express the idea that something was worthless, they would use this phrase. It is considered a mere 30 shekels worth. If something wasn't worth anything, ah, that's only worth 30 shekels. In the Sumerian culture, 60 was their foundational base number, much like 10 is for us today. So in the, in the minds of the Sumerians, 60 was complete. It was full. It was useful, productive, necessary. It was the basis for measuring and valuing things. Therefore, 30 is incomplete, not full, not productive, not necessarily, and useless for measuring anything of value. That is the number that Judas accepted. These religious people that offered 30 pieces of silver knew what they were doing, and Judas understood what he was accepting. This is so disrespectful. Imagine Judas, knowing what Jesus has done, is willing to, to take 30 pieces of silver and forget about the money. What about what that means? He's worth the same as a slave? He's incomplete? He's not worth it? He's worthless? This is what Judas was saying about our Messiah. So we have Lord versus Rabbi. We have the 30 pieces of silver. Now you're probably sitting there saying, Ben, what in the world does this have to do to me, uh, have to do with me? Well, it goes back to my point, proximity and relationship. I'm going to actually use a phrase that my youth pastor used to use when we were growing up. Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a happy meal. Come on, church. Just because you go to church, that does not make you a Christian. Jesus could be nothing more than a teacher to you, someone with good ideas, some, someone who says very quotable things, or he could be your Lord and Savior and Master and Messiah. What do you call him today? What do you say about him today? Relationship over proximity. My second point today is this, wishy-washy truth. Wishy-washy truth. You know what's funny? When I come back to Michigan, I feel like I can use phrases like wishy-washy or a bird in the hand is better than uh, two in the bush and things like that. When I'm out on Long Island, they think I'm from like Mayberry when I use phrases like that. They're like, you are too young to say things like that, but it, I feel right at home here. You guys know what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 21, verses 6 through 9. We're talking about Jesus' triumphal entry 
into Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Many of us have heard this story before. But there is so much symbolism that takes place in those few verses. And I just want to point out a few things from those, from those few verses. Cloaks on the road, what does that mean? Well, what they're doing is they're symbolizing submission. When they're taking their very garments that they wear and they're throwing them on the road for this donkey to trample on, they're pretty much saying, we are submitted to you. You are Lord, you are king, we're not worthy. You shouldn't even have to ride on a donkey who's walking on the road. Here, walk on my garments. It says they cut off tree branches, palm branches. This symbolized Jewish nationalism or victory. So when Jesus comes, they're very excited. Here is our king. He has come to set us free. And they're waving these palm branches. As much as we get excited about being Americans and, and having the flag and things like that, this branch would be along the same lines. They are very excited about the fact that Jesus is there to set them free. Let's look at a few things that they said. Hosanna. It means the one who came to save us. Son of David. They're talking about a Davidic Messiah. He came from the line of King David. But what's interesting, as the week progresses, you guys know where I'm going with this, right? As the week progresses, we read about a crowd who's yelling out something else. They're no longer yelling, Messiah, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, you've come for us. You know what they're yelling now? Crucify him. Kill him. Crucify him. Not just, hey, he should die, but he should die in a horrific horrible way. The crucifixion, the way that they would kill people, took the Romans years and years and years to perfect the worst way that someone could die. And this same crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, and you've come to save us, and you're the Messiah, is now yelling, kill him. Don't just kill him. Crucify him. Matthew 27, 21 through 23 we read about this guy named Barabbas. This is how much they hated Jesus. Are you ready? We're going to read a few verses. In verse 21 of Matthew 27, it says, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? This is Pilate talking, and essentially what he would do is to make sure, to try to keep everybody happy, he would bring out different criminals. So he has Jesus, and he has Barabbas. And he's saying, he's this Roman governor, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they answered. Verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. How interesting is this next line that Pilate says, a Roman governor says this. What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. 
But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Within a week, they've been wishy-washy, right? You're the man. You've come to save us. You are the Messiah. You're the one that has been prophesied about for hundreds of years. You're him. You came for us. Less than a week later, crucify him. Kill him in a horrific way. Again, you're probably asking, Ben, what, how does this apply to us? What does this have to do with me? One thing that I see in our culture today is a lot of people fall victim to wishy-washy truth. Jesus is the son of God, and he came to this earth for you and for me to take our sins to a cross to pay a price that we could not pay. And that is the truth. And yet, when people challenge that, sometimes we go, ah, well, you know what? You have your truth, and I have mine. Right? Are you with me this morning? Am I lying? We have a wishy-washy truth. It is a horrible thing that is happening in our culture today. There is no absolute truth anymore. They're all like, ah, well, you believe what you want to believe. We'll all end up in the same place, won't we? Um, no, no, we will not. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the church. We cannot have a wishy-washy truth today in this culture. My third and final point this morning is this, total devotion, total devotion. That's what I want to be said about me and about my life and about my decisions, about the way that I lead my family, love my family, love my community. I would love for someone to say he is totally devoted to God. John chapter 12, if you could turn over there, John 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. It says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house is filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So uh, Mary enters this room that's full of men. And she's probably breaking some rules to do this. But she doesn't come empty-handed. She comes with something that is worth everything to her. Now, when we read some of these numbers, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But let me just say this morning, this perfume, the amount of perfume that she is pouring on Jesus to anoint him for what is about to happen would be a year's wages for you or for me. It's a little different, right, than like going to Rite Aid and buying whatever goop they got there on the counter. 
That's not what we're talking about here. This was so expensive and worth so much. And the Bible says that she brings it in an alabaster box or a jar. And she breaks it. But there's also symbolism behind this perfume as well. Do you know what the symbolism is? Total devotion. Total devotion. Walks into a room full of men, breaks open this jar, begins to anoint the Messiah, his head, his feet. And then she does something else that we read about in the Gospels. She undoes her hair and she begins to clean his feet with her hair. Again, she is doing something that she should not be doing. But why is she doing it? Total devotion. They begin to, some of the disciples begin to speak up and complain. We read specifically about Judas doing that. Jesus stops them. And he's essentially saying this, this is the heart that you should have. Church, we should be willing to break social protocols to show our total devotion to him. You know what's not cool today? Saying something along the lines of Jesus loves you. You know what's not cool today? To say there's only one way to the Father and that's through the Son. That's not cool today. That's not accepted today. That's not PC today. Mary took all the rules. She balled them up. She threw them out the window. And said, that is my king. That is my savior. And I'm going to not just say I'm totally devoted to him. I'm going to show my total devotion to him. Church, that is exactly what our king is looking for from us today. Don't be confused, church, by thinking that just because you come to a church, just because you have Christian friends, just because you get on Instagram and post something cool about Easter or whatever, that does not make you a Christian. Total devotion makes you a Christian and a Christ follower. Let's not have a wishy-washy faith. It's easy to do today, isn't it? Everybody wants to fight about everything all the time. What's up with that? I don't know. It's crazy. But we need to stand firm on the word, on the truth, and that is that Jesus loves you and he came to this earth for you, and he died for you. And if you want to see the Father and you want to see Jesus someday, the only way to do that is through total devotion and giving yourself to him this morning. Church, would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite the pastoral team forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to take just a few minutes three, four, five minutes, and we're going to reflect. This is a time for us, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life, right? Church can sometimes turn into a box that we check off. So we come in, we get what we got to need, and then we run out the door and we're gone. What we want to do this morning is we want to take five minutes and reflect on this. And this morning, if you're in this place and you say, man, Ben, you're very passionate about this guy, Jesus. I think I want to get to know him today. 
I think I want him to come into my life. I think I want to have that total devotion that you're talking about. There's going to be some incredible men and women up here to pray with you. They want to walk you through what we call the sinner's prayer. It just means you're starting a relationship with Jesus. That's all it means. Maybe you're in this place this morning, and when I talked about wishy-washy truth, you say, I have a wishy-washy relationship with Jesus. It's not totally devoted the way that it needs to be. You can come up for prayer, or you can come to these altars and just spend a few minutes. Or maybe you're in this place and you say, you know, Ben, I don't really feel like I'm struggling with either of those things, but I do need to be more devoted. Maybe there's areas in your life, and this is easy to do, church, where you say, I've given God 90% of who I am. And you know what he's doing. He's putting his finger on your heart, and he's going, I want that 10%. I want that 10%. I don't read that Mary poured out 90% of this perfume. That's not what I read. Total devotion. Pastor James is going to lead us in a song. Like I said, it'll be three, four, five minutes. I want to encourage you. Take what we discussed today, what God did in your heart today. Pray a simple prayer. God, search my heart. Search my heart, God. God, what what applies to me today? What can I do with what you've said to me today? Whatever Jesus has spoken to you today, how does that apply to your life? And then I'm going to ask you to respond some way, whether it's up here or in your seat. And then I'll close the service here in a few minutes. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this song. Jesus, we love you. God, and I am so thankful to be in this place with these people celebrating who you are, celebrating what you've done for us. God, I pray for the people in this room who are struggling right now, who are struggling with, am I going to go up front? Am I going to take this leap? this step of faith to start this relationship with Jesus. Or maybe there's some in this room who have walked away. At one time they were on fire for you, but they have walked away. Jesus, I pray that you would search out that one. Draw them back to you. God, for those in this room that you are putting your finger on their heart saying, I got 90% of you, but I want all 100. Jesus, I pray that you just continue to work on, on each and every one of us. Continue to draw us to you. Jesus, we love you so much and we give you everything that we are in Jesus' name. Amen.
So grateful that we have the opportunity to, to meet you today and to be here and just share what we feel like God has put on our hearts. And, and what I said earlier, I mean, I hope I get to meet each and every one of you this weekend, somehow, some way. Uh, we are grateful again for the opportunity. Can we just thank God for what He has done in this place today and lives that He's touched, hearts that are changed? Let me pray for you one more time as we go out of here celebrating and ready to eat some good Easter lunch. All right, let me pray for you one more time. Jesus, we love you. God, and I'm thankful for what you did in this place. God, I'm thankful for what you did in hearts. God, I know that you have done things in this place today, Lord, that will echo through eternity. Lord, we are thankful for that. God, we are thankful again that you took our sins to that cross. That you took a punishment that was meant for me. We're so grateful for that, God. We are so grateful that you didn't stay dead, that you are no longer in that tomb, that you rose on the third day. And Jesus, you are getting heaven ready for us. And we cannot wait to someday be there with you and just celebrate, God, your goodness and how awesome you are. We love you so much, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. We love you, church. We'll see you next week.